ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Hormone coaches, hormone vitamins, hormone powders, hormone trackers, hormone apps, hormone journals. There are hormone influences and there is hormonal advice all over TikTok, sharing everything from whether or not you should increase your protein, swap your high-intensity exercise for low-intensity exercise, reduce your stress, sync your diet, exercise your menstrual cycle and randomly to eat a lot of carrots. There is a lot of advice on hormones at the moment. So what is a trend and what is the truth? And as much as it's great to be finally talking about hormones and trying to understand our hormones, what do we believe? Our hormonal system is far more complex than this trend would have us believe. The human body has more than 50 hormones which manage everything from mood to metabolism. And our hormones play a huge role in our lives, especially at certain times in our lives. When we reach puberty, when we have babies, when we go through menopause. And it can often feel like our hormones are working against us. So how can we understand them more? What should we be aware of? What is helpful, what is fact and what is fiction? I have two incredible experts in the studio with me today to take your questions on hormones. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is The Conversation Hour. Good morning, my name's Rochelle Hunt and we are talking hormones today, something that we don't often speak about, but we should speak more about. In the studio to be a part of this wonderful conversation, Dr. Sonia Davison, endocrinologist at Jean Hales for Women's Health, and Dr. Jayshree Kalkani, Professor of Psychiatry at Monash University and Her Centre Australia. Jayshree and Sonia, a warm welcome to the two of you. First things first, okay... It's great that we're finally talking about hormones. There is everything from hormonal trackers, hormonal eating plans, hormone coaches, you name it, on social media at the moment. Even though it's good to be talking about it, Sonia, are you worried about some of the misinformation that may be out there? As a doctor, I just want people to be healthy and as much as they can to be happy. Uh, But I'd really like to work on the healthy bit and I do worry about misinformation, uh, things that really don't have very good evidence behind it and people really thinking that they're doing something for their health but they might actually be doing something harmful. Uh, So if it's hormones and I can help them, uh, that's why I'm here, to tell people about what we can do. So you actually did your PhD on hormones back in 2006. What made you do a PhD in hormones? Um, I was very uh, fortunate to be at Jean Hales for Women's Health uh, with Professor Susan Davis, who gave me this great opportunity to look at hormones in over 1,400 Australian women. Uh, and this hadn't been done. We, we, we looked at their androgens specifically and other hormones. We looked at well-being, mood menopause, sexual function. It was an amazing opportunity and it's been quoted all around the world. So it was a, a really wonderful start to my research career. Jay Shree, do hormones get a bad rap? Well, I, I'm um, you know, in awe of the work that Sonia and others have done in this field. Coming into it from mental health perspective, I did my thesis on women and psychosis and looked at oestrogen in the brain and then expanded into oestrogen in the brain in other conditions, menopausal depression, for example, trauma and other related disorders. So... We've been sort of, I feel like we're behind the start line a bit in mental health because it's taken a long time for us to convince people that hormones have a big impact. Mm. These gonadal hormones have a big impact in the brain. And for some bizarre reason, for a long time, people were drawing like this stainless steel belt at the waist. And so Mm. what went on below the waist in terms of estrogen, progesterone, etc., didn't influence the brain, which is a nonsense. Mm. So I'm really very pleased to hear that there is a lot of uh, work and, and 
talk out mm. there, but I agree there's some crazy stuff going on out there as well that we need to actually be careful of because we don't want people to hurt themselves. But it is important that um, we recognise this very, very big influence that these gonadal hormones have on mood, on thinking, on this brain fog aspect and on things like rage and anxiety as well. It is all connected. Sonia, why do we have hormones? What Ooh. function do they play in our lives? If we didn't have hormones, would be a lump of jelly on the floor. <laughs> And I don't want to be a lump of jelly. Do you? You don't look like one. Um, we need, we've got over 50 hormones. They are chemical messages. Uh, they go from one part in the body. They might go only a few millimetres to do a very important job at another site or they might whiz all the way around the bloodstream and have a very important target effect at the end. Um, hormones control metabolism, fluid balance, fertility, reproduction, fight and flight uh, response. So if a big bear comes along and you don't have your hormones, you aren't going to flee. Um, it's, it's that simple. We need them to survive. Uh, we need them to do everything we do, really. I, it makes me quite important. I've worked out after about 30 years. <laughs> I'm going to ask a series of really stupid questions today because I feel like we don't discuss them and there are just some of the basics that we don't know. Mm. So hopefully I'm asking those stupid questions for all of us. Do Are we born with our hormones or do we start to um, acquire them as we age and at different times of our lives? Are there times when we need some hormones more than more than others? Yeah, um, we are born with hormones. Even as we're developing uh, in the womb, we are developing hormones. Our hypothalamus is the master gland, a tiny P-shaped gland in the brain. It talks to the pituitary. Some also call that a master gland. And that coordinates the essential hormones like cortisol, adrenaline, uh, fluid balance, those sort of things. Uh, so, so yes, uh, we are born with them, but they do evolve. And that's part of Jay Shree's role, I think, seeing how, um, for example, puberty, the changes, and there's links there with schizophrenia. And also when our hormones as women wind down around perimenopause, uh, those changes in hormones can be associated with mood disturbance and, and changes as well. Before we get to, to the perimenopause and menopause, let's go back to the beginning and let's talk mm. about puberty. Yeah, mm, of course. With boys and girls, once we hit puberty, what is happening to our hormones and how it affects our mood and our, our lives? So maybe in the mental health aspect, what, what we know about puberty is there's a massive rise in all of the uh, hypothalamic pituitary and gonadal axis. So it's all revved up and it's revving up to give kids their secondary sexual characteristics, hair, bigger uh, genitals and all the rest of it, breasts and so on. But it has an effect on the brain and especially with fluctuations. The brain loves things to be nice and stable in terms of the hormones which then in the brain affect the brain chemistry like serotonin and these important chemicals we know that affect mood and behaviour as well as the brain circuits. And the more and more I'm seeing of, of puberty in girls it's almost like it's the other end of the menopause story that we're seeing a lot of behavioural and mood and you know, everyone talks about the ratty adolescent. But this kind of uh, very abrupt changes mm. in the way that um, some pubescent girls are behaving, a little bit of eating disorder today for a couple of weeks and then all of a sudden they look a bit manic, then there's depression, then there's rage, then there's self-harm. It's a very fluctuant mm. mental health period. And I, con I compare that to what goes on in perimenopause when we've almost mm. got Absolutely. a similar kind of uh, fluctuation in mental health. And I think this is about the big fluctuations in the gonadal hormones in the brain. And I guess there have been some changes in society when it comes to those early fluctuations in that we've realised that year nine is a really problematic <laughs> problematic year to the point where some schools take year nines off campus. Yes. It's almost like let's isolate them, mm. right? Let's put them somewhere else so that we can deal with whether it be the hormonal fluctuations, some of the mood swings that we may have, some of the issues that we're sort of just facing. Is that all hormones, that year nine period that makes us so tricky? 
I mean, the other thing is, sorry to jump in there, but the other thing is I think it's also we have to think of everything as biopsychosocial, biological, that's the hormones and other hormone, uh, biological factors, plus psychological, what is going on in this person's psyche and their world and their reaction to all sorts of things and their social world, as in what's going on at home, at school and, and their environment. So I always want to put a plug in for the biopsychosocial approach. And also growth. I mean, their bodies are changing and that's quite confronting when you've had a certain body and now you're getting taller and you're growing bits that you didn't have before and and finding your place in the world and all of those sort of things. Um, But those pulses start to even happen from even age six to eight. Yeah. Slow pulses in the hypothalamus to the pituitary overnight when they're sleeping and they just waft along and start building up. And it's interesting then how you react differently with someone if they are acting out or whatever it may be. I have a 10-year-old and I can, all of a sudden, I tweaked. There was a really bad mood. It wasn't explained. It wasn't linked to anything. And then all of a sudden I went, it's hormones. (laughs) Because previously I'd just seen her as this little girl, but all of a sudden they shift and we start to get older. Jenny's in St Kilda. Morning, Jenny. Hi. What was your question? um, I started premenopause about 10 years ago, but I've been on Zoli oral contraceptive pill the whole time because I also have endometriosis and I've been using it to not have periods because of the pain. And I've tried several times to go off the oral contraceptive pill and immediately got a really horrible agony period. So I put myself straight back on the next night. But um, I'm wondering if that means I am still having periods or could it be a withdrawal thing that happens? I think you need some expert advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, your beautiful GP, if they are not good at women's health uh, issues, you can look, on, for example, on the Australasian Menopause Society website. There's a Find a Doctor webpage. Jean Hales for Women's Health has some excellent GPs and specialists. Uh, but there are some people around who you need some careful advice. You have endometriosis. You need uh, some special advice. Uh, and perimenopause is really tricky, as yeah. Jay Shree and I know. And even that can be very confronting without other things. But you just need a really good women's health uh, health practitioner to help you through. Thanks so much, Jenny. We wish you all the best. Louise is in Upway. Good morning, Louise. Hello. I've just got a pullover. <laughs> Sorry. I'm listening on the, on the, in the car on my way to an appointment. Um, I am a special education teacher at an autism specialist school. And uh, I've got 15-year-olds and we're currently have. We're currently having a few issues with hormones and these teenagers, but they've got autism as well. And so there are a lot of uh, sort of awkward situations happening where they don't really understand what's going on. Um, And some of the behaviours that we're seeing are teenage behaviours, but in these children who are, Mm. you know... That's acting a, at different an ends, added so. level of being tricky. Any yep. advice yeah. there, Jason? Well, I was just thinking, yes, it is. It, and, you know, it, we, nothing is ever simple in mental health. It's never just one thing. But, again, um, I would be very sure that things that were under control are going to get out of control at this point with the fluctuations. It does seem to take about a couple or years or maybe three years for that cycle to Mm. stabilise. So even if a girl is having uh, a period, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything's all um, sorted in the brain. Sometimes, and again, I would suggest that your GP would be a really good uh, resource to go and discuss this with, but sometimes we have seen some adolescent girls um, actually improve in their mental health once they take a particular oral contraceptive pill. Uh, Not all pills are good, and that's another issue. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be careful with that. And the one that's got nomigestrol is our favourite in our clinic because it's nice and stabilising without wrecking the depression further. But that can be another option that your GP would have to assess whether that's appropriate for your girls. And it also depends on whether they're finished growing because we don't want to disrupt growth plates and all sorts of things. So some careful discussion with the GP, but um, I do feel for you because, yes, it can be very stormy. It's a tricky one. 
Thanks so much for your call. And I know, Jayshree, you and I have done an in-depth program on the pill and some yes. of the disclaimers and, and some of the myths around the pill. So if people want to search back through the Conversation Hour podcast or even just put into your search engine Conversation Hour and the pill, we've done an entire hour on that. Louise, we wish you all the best. And look, just a, a short disclaimer, of course, the advice that we're giving today is general in nature and we always suggest that you speak to your local doctor and to your GP. With you in the studio, Jayshree Kalkani and Sonia Davison, uh, endocrinologist Dr Sonia Davison at Jean Hales for Women's Health and, of course, Jayshree, Professor of Psychiatry at Monash University. Quite a few texts have come in, and this is interesting because I think this will happen to me and I hadn't thought about this. It says, how's this for a wild ride? I have a hormonal 16-year-old and I'm in menopause, <laughs> dueling hormones a lot lately. That's from Nelly, and I've had lots and lots of texts saying <laughs> we've got one end of the spectrum here. It's the meat in the sandwich yeah. because there's often got elderly parents too and then the end part of not having hormones, which is postmenopausal osteoporosis, fracture, frailty, all of those associated things. So women in midlife are really doing it tough on lots of fronts, but go girls, <laughs> you can do this. How do you manage though in a household? I mean, yep. that's actually quite serious, especially yep. if you've got other children, you've got partners, whether they be male or female, and you have got two people that are on a roller coaster of a ride hormonally that maybe don't understand what's going through and there's going to be a lot of tension in the house. That's, it's not great. And it's not great and you think, gosh, Mother Nature was having a good old laugh at uh, setting this mm. up. But anyway, um, I think one of the things that's really critical is understanding the role of biology in what's going on. I'm not saying that people should just kind of behave badly and go, it's my hormones because that's a lovely sort of out. It's not that. But many times um, I see pe women, particularly in my clinic, who feel invalidated by the fact that their family didn't understand what they were going through. Perimenopausal women really do need uh, their, to understand themselves about what is going on as well as for their dear loved ones to understand what they are going through. And I think that helps a lot yeah. because then you can actually step back and go, okay, here are the social circumstances that I'm dealing with. I always have dealt with this really well, but suddenly I've lost my coping mechanisms. I've got a very short circuit here and that's not me so how do I get back where I was and perhaps think about the factors that are actually playing out here and they're probably the tipping factor I think is usually the hormone um, changes of perimenopause and we can do something about that Son Sonia do does stuff about that every day and so do I busy <laughs> this message, oh gosh, I can so relate to the perimenopause and puberty comparison. I was utterly derailed seven years ago. I'm 54 when perimenopause affected my mental health, particularly I would have a couple of good weeks followed by a crash for the next two weeks. Then I would stop and I would start things repeatedly. I felt out of control. I felt absolutely buffeted by this stormy time. Thankfully, I've been seeing an endocrinologist and we've settled the symptoms with hormone therapy. It is just extraordinary how much this can affect your lives. Thank you so much for this program today. That's from Sue. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. We're seeing everything from hormone trackers, hormone coaches, hormone-influenced eating, hormone apps, you name it, it is out there at the moment. So it is great that we are talking about hormones, but what is fact and what is fiction? Jayshree Kalkani is with you, Professor of Psychiatry at Monash University and Dr Sonia Davison, endocrinologist at Jean Hales for Women's Health. We are trying to bust some of those myths today. If you have a question... One three hundred triple two seven seven four. Hormone trackers. Do they work? How do they work? Um, I think they're really valuable. Uh, it's it depends on the tracker and it depends on the person. There's lots out there. There is not a good one. There is not a bad one. Uh, I think it's a really good way to sort of uh, just to see where you're at. Uh, there there are some inaccuracies sees that happen as well um, and it depends on the human person because you have to actually put something into the equation but I think it's very useful. So are they like a diary? I've never even searched one up or, or uh, looked yeah, yes. at one which Most, is probably a bit embarrassing to say No, that. no, no. Well, we don't all need them. Some have a calendar. 
Someone question that maybe I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, mostly they're an app on the phone or on an iPad or whatever and you track in uh, your periods or bleeding. Uh, you might also track in symptoms for some of them and some look at uh, diet and exercise and those sort of things as well. I, I think they have a very valid role. I love it when my ladies come along to me and say, oh, my periods are 26 to 39 days apart, but they did this for this time. And it's a really good um, option if you're looking at fertility. So that's very important there. Before we have a chat to Brad, who's called in from Shepparton, there's a message here that says, what about men's hormones and the links to maybe a midlife crisis? My partner recently left out some left out seemingly for no reason. The only difference is that he started to feel depressed. He bought hair dye. He changed things overnight. It's really strange behaviour after researching midlife crisis. It's a really serious time for men too. This is slightly interesting. Do men, I know men's hormones are are very different to women's, but when we talk about those key changes, puberty, yes, but what about later in life? I'm not an andrologist, so I can't speak with any great certainty about that. But I think we have to get back to one of the fundamental differences that I have noticed is for women, the perimenopause shift in hormones is sudden and dramatic. And I have women who say things like, oh, I just feel like I've jumped off a cliff. You know, one week I'm totally fine, the next week I'm totally not and I can't remember anything. For men, I think that obviously there are midlife crises and and questioning about what am I doing and if there's a loss of sense of virility, power, um, intellect, you know, with memory fogs and so on, yes, you'll have those reactions. But overall, it appears that the hormone side of it is a gradual shift, perhaps downwards in terms of actual testosterone levels but more gradual. So a lot of the social issues um, and psychological factors will play very, very hard on that. And yes, of course, men can suffer terribly as well. Brad, you're in Shepparton. Morning. What did you want to say? Uh, Thank you for the opportunity, doctor, professor and presenter. You're welcome, Brad. As caller, what do you want to say? (laughs) Came across the Australian Menopause Association which has GPs as its members, and I have uh, female clients who have benefited because the, um, the, the, the GPs would say to me, uh, check on their, um, the type of uh, contraception, hormone contraception, and the way from oral or the inserted contraception and the different side effects it can have. And I'm wondering if I could get a perspective from one of your experts around me referring clients. I guess there's a a bit in what Brad has said in terms of maybe doctors upskilling and learning more about hormones and how they impact our lives. But contraception, as we said, we did a program on this, but let's just quickly go over that, Jayshree. When it comes to, say, the pill or other forms of contraception, how does that impact our hormones? So usually the uh, contraceptives that are used have got two main ingredients, an estrogen and a progestin, a progestin being the synthetic progesterone. They're the usual combo. You can get progesterone only or progestin only uh, contraceptives. And in the brain, it appears that the progestins are all very different and some of them can actually uh, be quite depressive. And this is something that, you know, wasn't really known and is still not talked about that much and is not a key feature of when new pills come to the market or new contraceptives come to the market. It's not tested for that rigorously for depression. But there can be significant depression in the vulnerable woman. And I stress that because it's not every woman by any means. But some women are just more vulnerable to the types of synthetic progesterones that are available in the contraceptives. And we think that there's going to be a whole lot of stuff we're publishing soon on the trauma and early life trauma and difficulties, the hard life that actually then leads to changes in brain hormones and makes some women more susceptible. There are other links as well, but, you know, that's it in a nutshell. And unfortunately, we don't have many what are called mood neutral contraceptives on the market, which is sad. And when you think about the length of time that you're on a contraceptive pill for too, some women can take Mm. it 
for decades without questioning. Absolutely. And it extends into the HRT. Sorry, it's called MHT. Let's get trendy. <laughs> MHT, menopausal hormone treatment or therapy. Therapy, yep. And um, the same issue. You know, there are some terrible synthetic progesterones that are in that group as well. So we've got to be careful in the vulnerable woman. Not every woman but the vulnerable woman. You mentioned before, Sonia, links to schizophrenia. There's a message here from Miriam that says, I'm fascinated to hear about the psychiatric side. I had childhood onset schizophrenia when I hit puberty. Mm. I started briefly relapsing every time I had my period. After a very rocky few years, a psychiatrist in desperation put me on the pill to stop my periods. It settled the psychosis quite a bit, but it wasn't a perfect solution. But nothing in psychosis treatment is. It was nearly 20 years ago, I'm so happy to hear that people are studying this. That's fascinating. I had no idea. There are peaks uh, wow. when the hormones peak. Um, do you know what? This I was my thesis. I know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer back to Jay Shree, but I think a very important part of today's conversation is finding good information. So if you look at Jean Hales for Women's Health, there are bucket loads of information on anything from hormones to good nutrition. Uh, that's for women, I understand. There are some male uh, options out there, but also at the Australasian Menopause Society and also at Monash University. Mm. There's some beautiful information. It's about finding good quality information uh, and, and That's rep- not necessarily reputable. on TikTok. No, no. it's, it's no. not. Shri, you mentioned that this is your thesis. Is, yeah. How long ago did you do this? And uh, is, is it common? <laughs> that, that will tell you how, how long well, and yeah, how I old I am. <laughs> no, no, I did my thesis, got my thesis in, oh, what was it, 1997. But it's more about... Ha- like have these links are they commonly known you know they're not commonly known we have published we have published the you know so many publications in learned journals about our trials we've conducted i think 14 trials of estradiol treatment in schizophrenia sue davis was Mm. part of the early trials and it 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 just sort of sinks without a stone and the reason being i think we've got ourselves into a sort of dichotomy of the brain or mind versus the body and so these sorts of treatments hormone treatments are seen as body treatments given by physicians body doctors like like my colleagues here whereas mental health is the province of psychiatrists and psychologists who by and large don't Mm. consider the body part and so we've got this really weird dichotomy and really it's it's not helpful for people suffering with mental ill health we need to have a holistic approach and we've talked a lot about hormone therapies here but there are obviously other sorts of treatments that can be useful uh, in the people who are struggling with all sorts of perimenopausal depression or other other hormone related conditions like premenstrual depression is another one isn't it for something that has been since the moment we existed has been a part of our lives yet it feels like you know sometimes progress is slow but then it is fast and hopefully it is fast now in that there is an appetite for this information and for this understanding that connection between mind and body whether it be Mm. how we speak to each other what we eat how we treat our bodies with exercise and we'll speak to an exercise scientist in just a moment as well but let's have a chat with lisa who's in lilydale Morning, Lisa. Good morning. What's your question? I have a question about facial hair. Now that I'm older or in my 50s, I am getting a lot of coarse facial hair. But as I was growing up, I wondered if it's to do with having too many male hormones because as I was growing up, I I struggled with um, temper issues and I could get very aggressive for very little reason so I've often wondered if I have too many male hormones the facial hair is you probably like so many of us Lisa carry tweezers in our bag and when you get to the the lights you use your revision mirror because you have the best light there to be able to remove them but there's so many things okay facial hair and hormones but is it possible to have an imbalance of hormones Um, You can have too many hormones, you can have not enough hormone, uh, but our body is really good at regulating. There's a beautiful feedback system. If we're healthy, well, balanced, there's no problem. Our hormones will work perfectly well and we don't need to intervene. 
It's when there is a symptom like irregular periods, excess hair growth, scalp hair loss, that yes, there might be an overproduction of hormones. Um, and, and this caller might have something like polycystic ovary syndrome, where there is a, an abundance of male hormones, not at male levels, but it can promote things like acne, oily skin, excess hair growth. Um, and when you lose the protection of estrogen at menopause, that can uh, really come through for some women. Uh, I would love to check that lady's hormones. I would love her to see her GP, make sure she's healthy and well with other things like thyroid, What's her diet like? What's her exercise? What's her weight doing? It's all a balance. If we're talking about balancing Mm. hormones, it's about balancing life, being a good weight for your height, not being too stressed out, doing exercise but not too much. All of those. Easier said than done. So easy to say. (laughs) There is, Lisa, thank you. We wish you all the best because lots of questions are coming in with similar things. So I think you've answered questions for a lot of people. Thank you. Huge trend on TikTok at the moment to eat within your hormonal cycle. Some of it's a little alarming, you know, just green smoothies for one day or whatever it may be. And each day you have a different diet depending on where your hormones are at. Can you eat in sync with your hormones. <laughs> um, Do you want me to? Please, I, I'm going to run with that one. <laughs> busted, not busted. Um, it's about balance. Yep. And there's, I think there's some very well-meaning people out there, but there are also other people out there who are making money from saying a particular thing or whatever. Um, For example, with PMS, yes, you might be having cravings before your period and we do want you to have uh, a balanced diet there, not give in to the cravings, but but be kind to yourself. Um, So so I think in in all of this, with all of these sort of things, it's it's very difficult. Um, It's just about eating a healthy diet, not too much of one thing. If you do it a little bit over one day, just backtracking and getting back to it the next uh, some things might be useful, but most of them out there, not not the carrot thing. We don't need the carrot thing. What's going thing. on with the excess of know. carrots? They I love carrots. No idea. <laughs> no idea. But, you know, it's, it's, inter- it's important that we also remember that there are eating disorders. We, we've opened yes. a new eating disorders research centre, and it's particularly to look at anorexia nervosa. And people may not be aware, but there's a second blip of anorexia nervosa in our perimenopausal mm. women. So it's not wow. just the very young teenage girls. Why? And, and, Why? Well, I think it's got to do with uh, trauma. And again, so sometimes when people have various traumatic experiences, combine that with the fluctuating hormones of perimenopause, and there's a sense of, I've got to control things. I've got to control. also lose weight, mm. you know, dramatically because I've got to feel young and look young and so on and then you then i've seen women who come and they say well what you know they're eating like a couple of lettuce leaves some black coffee running as fast as they can and then say they feel terrible and of course the brain needs glucose that's what the brain runs on so we have to be careful of nutrition in all age groups uh, across the board does that generally occur if someone has already previously had an eating disorder and it resurfaces or is it the really first bad. time? Yes, we can, both. Well, you can get both, but it's, it's really interesting. I think you must be seeing this too, Sonia, in your clinic, but a lot of things just get re- rebound at menopause. So I've also had people say, well, I had depression and it was completely under control and then it went haywire at menopause, as did the eating disorder, as did PTSD. So many of the mental health things can get um, relapse again in perimenopause. I think that's, you know, uh, because the hormone is, an, uh, particularly estrogen, is a nice kind of pouring chocolate sauce on the ice cream of the brain. And when that is lessened and fluctuating, then all these other things Mm. just are let loose. How do you test your hormones? There's a message here from Jackie that says, my hormones were tested in June. I was in a normal range, but I just felt like death. I requested they be retested. I'm in full menopause with zero estrogen, zero pedestrian. I have regular periods. They've stopped suddenly four months ago. I'm just feeling dreadful. I can't get up. Mood has plummeted. It's just impossible that I've... Is it possible that I've just skipped perimenopause? Is this scenario common? There's about three really great questions in there. So how do we test our hormones? Um... If it's a good story and a woman's in her 40s, which is typically when you have perimenopause, or 50 plus and it's a good story for menopause, 
we do not need to test estrogen, uh, testosterone or progesterone. Uh, unless there's a very particular reason, like, for example, a premature menopause before 40 years of age. But I do like to check thyroid, iron studies, make sure there's nothing else that is underpinning those symptoms. So I do a good general health check. If the symptoms are typical of perimenopause, fluctuating symptoms, periods going a bit wacky, flushes, sweats, sleep disturbance, mood disturbance, bloating, headaches, those sort of things, we, we know that it's perimenopause in a typically aged woman with that history. Um, I just think those, that lady needs some good health, help from a, a women's health practitioner who knows about mm. perimenopause uh, and who can guide her through it. And it's very hard to say to your GP, you don't actually get this, and but but well, it's hard to find a GP full stop. Full stop. Now, it let is. alone, and depending on where you live, if you live in regional Victoria, it's very hard. But that being said, this is where telehealth can yes. actually be revolutionary. Brilliant. In that you can find a great health specialist, and they don't have to be in your local area. This is a fascinating question. It says, thank you so much for this amazing program. I was wondering if older people, let's say in their 80s or early 90s, experience another level of hormonal changes, again, if it increases or decreases with activity and what those typical symptoms might be and how it may influence mood and behaviour. Mm. So when we're looking at the later stage in life, is there... Another, <laughs> another wave. Is there another wave? <laughs> well, one of the things that I think, and again, when we look at the what we call the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis, you look at that three letters, two of those are in the brain. And yet it's surprising that we don't have as much informational knowledge about what happens in the brain with the hormonal interactions. I mean, we're starting to, but, you know, there's a lot that we don't know. You add in all the other complicating factors with ageing of cognitive decline, changes anyway in brain volumes and so on. And so you've got a very complex interactive thing. But I, I often do think that once the gonads are kind of out of the picture, it doesn't mean that the the axis is kind of quiescent. It's still going because there's two parts of that that have, and again, there is feedback, but there's two parts that are in the brain. So it would not be surprising to hear that we have a cyclical brain uh, hormone and neurotransmitter blip. So lots and lots wow. to be done in terms of understanding the brain. One thing that we haven't touched on today, and I'm not sure if it's uh, an area that the two of you feel comfortable discussing, I know the Royal Children's Hospital has done a lot of work in this, but it's looking at, when I mean, there's two texts now, one says, as a trans woman, hormones literally saved my life. And another says, this conversation is really good, but it continues to leave out those who are on the gender spectrum. And when we look at some of the research that's just starting to be done for those who choose to change gender, Mm -hmm. and how we work with hormones and understanding our hormones. How far down the line of research mm -hmm. and of understanding are we there? Well, we're not, we're not there. I mean, there are important things to be understood. There is a gender dysphoria unit and we're doing research uh, along with them, a gender dysphoria unit at Monash Health. And um, they, again, and we have had you know, shared clients who are uh, transgender and have received hormone treatments, particularly the the male to female. An interesting phenomena happened in sometimes some of the people I've seen in uh, their mental health. It improves. So, of course, we have done trials in men using estradiol who had psychotic symptoms, and the psychotic symptoms improved. Wow. So, again. We, we mustn't just think that women's brains are the only brains that have estrogen. Of course not. This is, uh, this is very common in, in everybody, regardless of what their social identity is. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Well, it's taken a long time, but we are finally talking hormones and not just here in the studio, but in the wider society. We are talking about and trying to understand how yay. our hormones affect our lives. <laughs> Absolutely. Yay. yay. Whether it be from when we start puberty to midlife to later in life, but there is a lot of misinformation out there. So today we thought we would just try and work through just some of those myths. Jayshree Kalkani is with you, Professor of Psychiatry at Monash University, Dr. Sonia Davis, an endocrinologist with Jean Hales. Let's have a chat with Sylvia, who's been waiting patiently in Bendigo. Morning, Sylvia. Hello, how are you? Well, what was your question? 
Now, I'm in my mid-60s. I had a hysterectomy in my very early 40s and I have been on HRT for nearly 20 years because prior to that I used to have extremely severe night sweats and hot flushes like you wouldn't believe. And um, HRT actually helped a lot with the night sweats. I don't have those as much anymore. And with the, um, but what I still find I still suffer extremely from is an intolerance to heat, particularly if I'm confronted with it suddenly, like walking into a room that's really full on central heating. Yeah. I can't, can't stand. And what happens, and which is what has happened, is sometimes it gets to the point of, like, panic. I just go from, you know, being cool and calm and fine and then all of a sudden, whoa. You're really overwhelmed. Absolute state of overwhelm to the point I actually was issued with a disciplinary warning at work because I just tried to turn the heat down because I thought it was too hot it and really was no, no, yeah that's, it just shows you the amount of stress that it causes heat regulating our heat this is where we're talking perimenopause menopausal time it's quite common isn't it um there's some beautiful research now about menopause in the workplace so Sylvia do a bit of scratching around because um managers supervisors I gave a whole talk that could have reached 3,000 women at Royal Melbourne Hospital earlier in the year um, because they've got this amazing huge staff um, talking about how to manage menopause at work in those confined situations and with those terrible occlusive garments like in theatre or police offices. So there's a big emerging uh, industry there and and a research and interest. Um, Get some help, get to your GP, make sure there's nothing else causing the symptoms. Um, I also want to tell everyone that there's a beautiful Women's Health Week coming up, 4th to 8th of September, Jean Hales for Women's Health. You'll be seeing events around. Um, There's going to be some beautiful information and education about all aspects of women's health, and I just invite people to keep their eyes open for that. A lot of the times, and we've got a lot of messages now talking about how diet and exercise has helped them. Let's focus on the exercise part of it for just a moment because, again... Not blaming social media for a lot of things. It can be great when we want it to be. But there is a lot of hormonal exercise programs even out there. So understanding whether or not you should be pushing yourself. Should I be doing a HIIT class or a yoga class? Should I somehow sync my hormones and my exercise routine? It may be a good thing or it may be... Just a lot of nonsense going on. Who knows? Claire Minahan is an applied sports scientist. She's also a senior lecturer at Griffiths University. And Claire, for decades, you've been looking into how our hormones affect our athletic performance. And we're seeing even the Matildas be able to sync and track their hormones. Do we need to change our exercise depending on our hormones? G'day, Rochelle. Thanks so much for having me. Um, wow, what what a question. It's uh, the million-dollar question, isn't it? Imagine, <laughs> uh, imagine if we could have won the World Cup <laughs> if we just got that uh, semi-final in the Can't in the, blame right the hormones for not winning cycle. the World Cup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, look, there's, there is no consensus evidence on this. Um, there is uh, some emerging evidence and little bits of evidence around that suggests that, um, you know, training adaptations and performance may be different for different individuals across the menstrual cycle, but we are lacking so much in consensus evidence. Um, you know, there's theoretical mechanisms that link estrogen to um, improvements in strength and being able to produce force and um, being competitive and and feeling good and all those really terrific things that you think associate really nicely with performance, which, which they do. But in terms of hard evidence and consensus evidence, meaning that there are more than one piece of evidence out there Um, We're really lacking in that area and we've got a lot of work to do. Even though I've been looking at it for 20 years, um, if you look at uh, sports performance research, only 3% of all sports performance research is is done exclusively on female athletes. Um, Yeah, it's it's a terrible statistic. 3%. 3%. Uh, one, one, we're trying to change, obviously. Um, Just when we think we've made we've got progress, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> wow, that's disappointing yeah. to hear. And it is, absolutely. 
So there's the elite side of it and understanding how it affects elite athletes, whether it be swimmers, runners, soccer players. But then for just the everyday person, Claire, some of the ideas that are being floated on social media is like maybe swap around high intensity for low intensity. Should we be changing how we exercise? If we're feeling a bit, you know, we know maybe we're coming up for our period or we're just feeling really sluggish, that idea of, well, I'm just going to push myself and I'm just going to push through it and do this exercise. Should we be doing something like that? Yeah, I think think you hit uh, a really important point there and that is, do I feel? And um, the perception of an individual and the way that they feel and how their menstrual cycle and menstrual period affects them is a really important one. We see actually in elite athletes that over 50% of our elite female athletes believe that their menstrual cycle and menstrual period affects their performance. So there's something there. So my advice is that we treat this very individualized. And if a, if a, a weekend warrior or, an, or a, a woman who likes to keep active feels that they uh, are better off doing high intensity exercise at some phase of their menstrual cycle, then I would um, implore them to absolutely do that. But there is no suggestion at this stage that adaptation to that particular exercise is going to be different across the menstrual cycle. And in fact, there's no real strong evidence to suggest that there's a maladaptive um, result from doing a particular type of exercise at a particular phase of the menstrual cycle. So even if you're feeling a little off, Mm. if you want to go out and do a HIIT Uh, exercise session at a particular phase of the menstrual cycle, there is absolutely no reason that you can't do that. Especially if you're going through that rage Mm. period, you know, (laughs) through perimenopause. Yes, good management. That's that's where a hip class or a body combat class. Kickboxing. (laughs) Exactly what you need. How do we increase that research level for female athletes up by 3%, Claire? How do we change that? One is awareness, uh, and we find that many of the sports science researchers at universities are men. So we need to make uh, men more interested in examining uh, female athletes. We absolutely need funding. There is no two ways about it. Um, And so the government really need to be very specific in in what they're funding in terms of performance research um, and athletic research. Um, and we need to get more senior authors that are female on these mm. particular um, um, research projects. Uh, so it's a really targeted approach, I think. Claire, Claire, thank you so much. I mean, we have one of those researchers in front of us. Jay, sure, are you nodding, agreeing? <laughs> well, I mean, women's mental health hasn't been on top of anyone's no. agenda and still isn't. So I'm very grateful to programs like this, which start to raise the awareness of hormones, mental health, perimenopause, menopause, the whole damn thing. But yeah, we're all starting way behind the start line here, which is a disgrace in 2023. Claire Minahan, thanks so much. We appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Sports scientist, senior lecturer at Griffiths University. This, Rish, next month I'm 60. I've suffered for years with waking between 3 and Mm -hmm. 4am. I hear Some research started around taking magnesium. I'm now sleeping through. I've also stopped the magnesium and started waking again. I'm not giving up now. I've got to sleep eight hours a day. I cannot function without it. That's from Wendy. Could have been written from me. I'm not sure. Um, the waking at 3 to 4 a.m. Can I, that stop, please? I call it the menopause witching hour. Mm. When I look at them and I say, do you wake between 3 or 4 a.m. and you're just like this and you find it hard to get back to sleep? Um, yes, that's a hormonal thing. And yes, it's particular to menopause and perimenopause. Uh, magnesium can be a really good strategy uh, taken two hours before bed that might be all that that lady needs uh, there's some really beautiful information about sleep out there as well uh, it's important to just do a routine but but also to to know that if you don't sleep then if you can sleep later in the day and have a bit of a nana nap uh, at three o'clock that's fine as well it depends what you need to do every day in terms of work and exercise can help with sleep as well lee's in melbourne good morning good morning what was your question um i just find that i had a hysterectomy early in life i don't have any um monthly measures to go on but i am a status attack and um can't get moving and can't get out of bed and 
Um, I haven't measured my hormones or done anything like that. I find the GPs um, quite on top of it. Is there somewhere I can go for women particularly to be looked at? And so, Lee, you're, you're in your 70s and you're sort of feeling all of those symptoms had your hysterectomy quite young in life and you don't feel like your GP is helping you at the moment? Not at all, no. Lee, you need a tune-up. Yeah. It's like yes, your car. Exactly. If your car doesn't work and your car needs a service, your car needs a tune-up, you get a tune-up. Um, if your GP is not listening, just kindly say, I'm just going to get a second opinion. Doctors do never mind about getting a second opinion. It's just more advice. So so have a look at the Jean Hales for Women's Health website, but also have a look at the Australasian Menopause Society website. There's a Find a Doctor page there. They are usually excellent women's health GPs and it's by locality. And I encourage you to just uh, get a tune up. We wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Let's quickly try and squeeze in Karen. Karen's in Geelong. Good morning. Oh, good morning. Um, I've had a condition that started uh, the day after I gave birth to my first child. I woke up. I had no strength. Um, I could hardly walk um, uh, and it still continued. Uh, I'm in my 33rd year. Um, I've lost my memory. Mm. Um uh, I don't have concept of time and there are multiple other difficulties and I've had so many tests, MRIs, blood tests, this specialist, that specialist. However, yeah. uh, I still don't have uh, a diagnosis. Oh, Karen, I'm sorry to hear that. And one of, that's one of the other periods, yeah. I mean, childbirth postnatal. and yeah. postnatal. So postnatal area of mental health is, again, um, I think really needs a lot more biological research to happen here because there's so many shifts that go on. There are some interesting new postnatal depression definitions which include such things as the fatigue, the inability to have any kind of energy at all, um, mental strength in terms of resilience and thinking through with brain fog and so on. So there, there are lots of new definitions that might fit for perinatal or sorry, postnatal depression. There are also some new treatments that are new hormone treatments. These are called allopregnanolone or progestin derivative treatments. So that's the other half, not estrogen, but the progesterone side of things. And it is a really important area that we uh, yeah. need to understand a bit more. So I'd suggest that you should really, um, again, revisit some of the postnatal depression um, sites and clinics because that seems to be where the issue is. Karen, we wish you all the best. Apologies if we couldn't read out your text or get to your calls today. There were almost just too many to be able to get through. There are some changes being made. For example, this says, this is a great show. My workplace now has a menstruation and a menopause policy that's being trialled. Wow. So there you go. There are well some done. changes. Yay. <laughs> Thank you so much for the research and the work that both of you do. I mean, there was lots today that we sort of just touched briefly on from menopause to perimenopause. The Conversation Hour has done deep dives into both of those topics. The pill, Jayshree, I know you and I have done programs on that as well. Sport and periods, we've even done programs on that. So I would suggest go to the ABC Listen app, subscribe to the Conversation Hour, and we have got programs on all of those particular topics. Jayshree Kolkani, thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure. Dr. Sonia Davison, endocrinologist from Jean Hales, thank you so much for thank your time you today so and the work that you do. I'll be back with you on Monday. Have a fabulous weekend. Take care.